0: All right. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody today. So, um, guys, I'm going to start today. And what we're doing today is we're finishing up our Amazing Grace series. And if you've been with us over the past several weeks, we've been talking about grace as the theological foundation of all of our relationship with God. And last week, we uh, ended with talking about God's enriching grace. And I thought that uh, really to culminate all the ideas of God's grace today, we're going to finish by talking about God's invitational grace, God's inviting grace, the inviting grace that he gives us through the gospel of Jesus Christ, because ultimately what we're coming to is a person and a relationship with the living God. Um, Doctrine is the foundation of all of our um, belief in him, Um, but ultimately that doctrine is to lead us to him. Uh, Whenever Jesus Christ was ministering, he talked to the religious leaders of his day, and he said, listen, you guys diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you'll have eternal life. These are the scriptures that speak about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so what God's doing is he's giving us the opportunity through his inviting grace to actually come into relationship with him, that you wouldn't just have a knowledge about him, But through his invitational grace, be able to have a dynamic with him. And so today, what we're talking about is how grace actually transforms our devotional life. How grace transforms our devotional life. And to do that, I want to talk about it in three parts, as we normally do. Uh, Number one, our effort. Number two, Jesus finished work. And then number three, the obstacles that have been removed. Okay? So again, that's our effort. Christ's finished work, and then the obstacles that have been removed. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word to us today. God, we thank you that um, in the midst of all that we learn about you and us growing in the knowledge of you, that God, ultimately, you're calling us to yourself in deep and intimate relationship. And God, we're asking that today that we'd finish this message of grace by removing the barriers of um, apathy, removing the barriers of Um, timidity, removing the barriers of condemnation, removing the barriers of anything that would keep us from relating to you in a life-giving way on a daily basis. God, we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for the cross that ushers us into this grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so today we're going to start by talking about our effort. Our effort. So the summary thought is this. Just because God invites you by his amazing grace into his presence doesn't mean that it doesn't require some effort on your part to relate to him. How many people know that that's true? A lot of times we think of God's grace as God's going to do all of the work for us. And in terms of salvation, he has accomplished everything for us, right? In sending his son, Jesus, and him fulfilling all the law that the law requires so that we could be in relationship with a holy and a righteous God. But there is a relating based on posture, and then there's a dynamic of relationship that actually takes effort on our part. And if you look at the life of Moses, who was known as one of God's friends, not only was he a servant of the Lord, but in the Old Testament, he was known as one of God's friends. Um, The time and the time that he spent with God, it's easy to overlook something fairly significant. It said that in uh, Exodus chapter 19, it talked about the dynamic that Moses had with God to really develop this relationship with him and this friendship with him and when we read in exodus chapter 19 verses 2 and 3 we we see something peculiar it said they set meaning the israelites the people of god set out from rephidim and came into the wilderness of sinai and they encamped in the wilderness there israel encamped before the mountain while moses it said something very specific went up to god Remember, we're always referring to things like the Ten Commandments and the commandments of the Lord that were encompassed in the Torah that give us an understanding of only, not only God's character, but how to relate with him. But it said that as Israelite was, the Israelites were camped in this area, there was a, a mountain that Moses had to climb to literally meet with God. And it said, The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel. And obviously the commandments followed. But the point was is that Moses had to climb a mountain to be with God, implying effort on his part. He did this at least seven times that we know of, in some cases having to go back and forth with little rest in between. It took a whole lot of energy and effort to get into God's presence, but you don't really hear a lot of mention of that A lot of times it's eerily silent, right? We hear the commandments were given to Moses, but you don't hear the effort that Moses made to meet with God. And I think that this subtle practical point will actually revolutionize our relationship with God if we understand that, yes, God has made his approach to us, but ultimately he's also expecting effort in our making an approach to him as well. How many people like myself would have often um, wished that God would just minister to you continually and only through dreams. (laughs) Okay, so that as soon as you open the Bible and you get to difficult passages in Scripture and you're trying to meditate on them and understand them and you doze into that spiritual state of sleep, that God would reveal himself to you in all the ways that he does. But the truth of the matter is, is yes, he speaks in visions and dreams, but he also speaks primarily when we're awake. When we're awake and making approaches to him, so much so that in the New Testament, he says, draw near to God. And here's the good news. God will draw near to you. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. He says, it's not enough that you just know about me. You've got to make an effort to approach me. And in talking about grace, there was a man named Dallas Willard, who's Um, a great theologian. And if you actually uh, have read some of his books or you'd like a recommendation of his books, um, one of the books that he wrote uh, was called Hearing God, right? And so we all know that we want direction from God in our lives. We want direction from Jesus in our lives. And this is a book that helps us to unpack how do we not only pray to him, but actually hear from him by the Holy Spirit, hear from him by his word. And the thing that he said is that in the midst of us understanding the grace that God's offered us. Grace is opposed to earning, not effort. Grace, when we think about it in our relationship with God, is opposed to earning in terms of our right standing with God, but it's not opposed to effort. And that's something that we've got to establish in our understanding if we're going to have a right relationship with God. So the good news is, is that Once we have it established in our mind that we need to make an effort to God, then we can really focus on Christ's finished work for us. That when we approach Him, when we make our move towards Him and He makes His move towards us, we can have confidence in our approach towards Him because of what the Word of God says. Now, this is what uh, Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 4. Now, Hebrews is a book written, if you're not familiar with it, to take all the significant themes and storylines of the Old Testament and show how they ultimately find their fulfillment in Jesus.' Okay, so if you were a student, or if you were a Jewish person growing up, and then you uh, had Jesus come on the scene, he would be the Hebrews would help explain how he was the fulfillment of all the messianic prophecies that were outlaid before in the Old Testament. If you are a Gentile and you, meaning you are anybody but a Jewish person, that's most of us in here, and you are coming to Jesus, it helped lay a foundation for you bringing a connection between all of the history of the Jewish people, talking about God and his relationship with humanity and how we're to appropriately relate to him through Jesus today. And in Hebrews, it talks about basically the finished work of Christ, but the only way we're going to know that properly is, as we always say, through the word of God. And so in verse 12 in Hebrews, it says this, for the word of God is alive, is living rather, And active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account meaning that God sees everything, he knows everything, we're all going to have to give an account to this one creator who made us and is going to judge all of our lives. And he says the only way that we're going to stand in right standing with him is through the finished work of Jesus, is what he continues to talk about. And he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession, and that was a confession of faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near, and that's that inviting grace again, draw near to the throne of grace, That we may receive mercy, meaning God withholding from us what we actually deserve, and find grace, God giving us what we don't deserve, to help in time of need. And so, what we see is that this is the foundation of God's inviting grace. Once we've established in our minds and hearts that we need to make effort to make an approach to him just as he's made an approach towards us, then we understand that it's only through the finished work of this high priest Jesus that we're able to have this relationship with God. Now, if you're unfamiliar with the high priest, the high priestly identity and function of Jesus is spotlighted in this passage. This is incredibly important for the biblical story. A priest's job... In Old Testament Israel, and a priest's job in the time of Christ was to mediate between God and people. He's the reconciling agent working to bring humans and God back together. So meaning he's the one offering the sacrifices that were necessary so a holy, pure, spotless God could have relationship with a marred and sinful people. This is what the job of the high priest was. And what he's saying is that when Jesus showed up on the scene, he became the last and the ultimate high priest that all of us needed to be a mediator between us and God. Now, the thing about it is is that in the Torah, there was um, so much hope placed on the high priest because if he didn't do his job right, everyone was in big trouble. Every little detail of his life and preparation mattered. In order for him to be qualified to make proper sacrifices for the sins of the people, he had to be ritually clean and pure before God. He had to be ritually clean and pure before God. This was a nerve-wracking process because all humans are prone to uncleanness and impurity. So you think about it, if this one high priest was who we were depending on to bridge the gap between us and a holy God, and then he had to be clean to be able to offer those sacrifices to bridge that gap for us, a lot rested on his shoulders, right? And I don't know about you, but I don't have a whole lot of confidence in really anybody. I know everybody, I know everybody does their best, but everybody makes mistakes. How many people could say amen to that? Are you with me in here? I've done my best for years now and still day by day come up short. And I'm like, doggone it. (laughs) You know, it's like, can I not get this right? I mean, I don't know if you, uh, anybody watched the slam dunk contest last night? Okay, anybody? Okay, it's on all right, YouTube. All right, so, all right, it looked pretty sweet. All right, or, or even the skills challenge. These people who are paid millions of dollars a year to entertain and play a sport, how some of these grown men who've been doing this for the past 20-some years of their lives were missing simple things like passes into a hole that you would play at Chuck E. Cheese right? And it's sort of like, it's like, man, everybody makes mistakes, right? And this high priest ultimately had this responsibility that was resting on him, but he was still imperfect. The good news is that when Jesus came along as the high priest, the true high priest, it's really good news for us on two levels, When Jesus comes along as the high priest to reconcile us, bring us back into friendship with God, it's good news on two levels. Number one, it's good news because he's like us. According to Hebrews, it's good news because he's like us, meaning that just as God was 100% God, he was also 100% man. The hypostatic union. He is 100% man and he was like us. And he knows exactly what our weaknesses are like. He experienced them, although he never sinned. How many people know that it's a comforting thing to know that Jesus got tired sometimes? How many people know that it's an encouraging thing to know that Jesus got frustrated sometimes? Anybody with me there? I mean, I have a trigger in me that I'm like, what in the world? How did that go up? I would not do well as president of the United States, I will tell you this. <laughs> because I'd be like trigger happy. I'd be like, oh, what'd you say? See, I'd read something on Twitter. I'd be like, oh, it's about to go down. You know? <laughs> Jesus experienced frustration, but also had a understanding of how to overcome that. He experienced them, but never sinned. You don't sin because you have a harder life or circumstances than Jesus did. Everybody understand that? Whenever we sin, we don't sin because we have harder circumstances than Jesus. When Jesus was going around preaching this good news, working miracles, opening blind eyes, driving out demons, and doing all these sorts of good things, people were trying to kill him. How many people know that no matter how hard your work life is, more than likely your boss isn't trying to physically kill you. Okay, you might have not turned in the project on time, but he's not coming after your life, putting a hit on you. That was Jesus during his time. He was doing good and they were trying to kill him for it. And we don't sin because we have more grave circumstances than he did. He gets all of your weaknesses and here's the good news, can even empathize with them, but then show us a way out. And that's the second piece of the good news, that though he's like us, he's also not like us. And how many people know that it's good news that we serve a God who's not like us? He's like us, but also he's not like us. As comforting as it is for someone to identify with your weakness, they can't help you unless they know how to overcome it. Isn't that the truth? Has anybody ever gone to somebody for comfort before, but they were in the same mess that you were in? And then all that you did was had a pity party together. Just talking about how hard the issue was, how hard the temptation was, how hard the circumstance was. And then after you finished talking, after you finished that gallon of ice cream, then ultimately you were in the same spot, right? But Jesus, on the other hand, needs us to understand that Most of us know people who are like us, and we can try to support each other and pity each other when we are sinning or struggling, but Jesus, our great high priest, is better than that. He knew all our weaknesses and yet did not sin, meaning that he knows the way out. He's better and overcame everything that we were experiencing and therefore not only can identify with our weakness, but then can empower us to come out. That's a different thing, right? That's a different thing. If you're trying to improve in any area of your life, you go and talk to somebody who knows the way out. This means that our high priest is extremely approachable and personal, and yet powerful and able to transform us. He's the only place where we can find perfection of truth, mercy, and grace wrapped up in one. The best mentors, coaches, pastors, parents, leaders, or anything of this type on some level can empathize with you, but have also overcome to show you a way out. Jesus is that source of perfection. And he invites you to the place where you can receive mercy and find grace to help you no matter what you're experiencing in your time of need. Now, let me, let me just qualify this about he's experienced everything that, or been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Okay, I want everybody in here, this won't be hard. Picture sin that's personal to you. Anybody familiar with the sin that you have in your own life? You don't need anybody to put, okay, or if you're not self-aware, okay, maybe something that a close relative or family member or friend has pointed out for you, maybe not so lovingly, right? Think about that. Everybody with me? You there? Can you think about that thing? Can you imagine that Jesus was tempted in that way? tempted in that way just like you yet didn't sin so the great hope is is whatever you're identifying right now in your mind and heart he's got a way out for you because he not only experienced the temptation of it but then it's powerful to lead us out that's the good news of the gospel isn't that good news for you it no matter what it is, every way yet was without sin. Every way for you yet has a way out. That's the good news of the gospel. There's no way, ultimately, according to Scripture, to hide from him. So you might as well come find mercy and grace from him, right? It's like, you know, how people, you know, like when you were a kid and you're playing hide and seek, they're always like, you can run, but you can't hide. I'm going to get you. Anybody remember playing like with your kids or, okay, anyway, that's fine. If you just sat in front of a TV, that's fine. Listen, (laughs) there were real games back in the day. All right, so grace is what provides the invitation as well as the power to accept it. When we read the word of God, it is actually the word of God that's reading us. That's what Hebrews talks about. He says that because it's living and active, it's actually, we think we're reading it just to get information or to, you know, get uh, some sort of growth and knowledge about God, but it's reading us, right? Because it's the spirit of God being living and active, unpacking the issues in our lives. And how many people have ever felt like there has been something that's jumped off of the page and God's been like, that's for you, not for everybody else that might surround you in your life, but that's actually for you. <laughs> That happens to me all the time. And actually, let me give you this encouragement for those of you who've read the Bible before and feel like you don't need to go back to it. It actually happens to me regularly, no matter how many times through I've run read cover to cover. Why? Because it's living and active. And then he meets me by the Holy Spirit through that living and active word in that moment. In that moment to draw me to him and to conform me into his image. When we read the Word of God, it cuts into the truth of who we are and what's going on in our lives. And unless you actually give God the time through his inviting grace to open the Word and let it do surgery on you, you will go backwards, not forwards in him. Everybody understand that? Has anybody ever reached a point in God before where you felt like you were doing well, but then you went on what's called cruise control. Has anybody been on a long trip before? Because let me, let me say why I'm actually uh, giving you this analogy, because our walk with God is a marathon, not a sprint. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And what you're going to need to do is learn the disciplines to walk with him over a period of time and not just have a good few short days or weeks. And when we actually develop this type of mentality, we know that on a long drive, has anybody like myself almost driven off the road before on a long trip because you start to doze off? Come on, be honest now. There are no no police officers that I know in here. Okay? It's sort of like, well, maybe there are. But listen, mercy, grace, that's what we're talking about. So it's sort of like, you know, and then all of a sudden the like, boom, 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 right? Wakes you up. Well, thank God for those things. Why? Because it gets us back on track. It gets us back on track. And let me tell you what the <laughs> is for you. The <laughs> is Genesis. The <laughs> is Leviticus. The <laughs> is Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah. It's, it's Deuteronomy. It's Matthew. It's John. It's Ephesians, right? Getting you back on track once you start to veer. Because it's a marathon not a sprint. Now, if we know Jesus' finished work is what's inviting us to the place where we can wake up, we've got to overcome certain things and know that he's helped us to overcome certain things in this marathon that'll keep us in the race and winning the race. And I would say that it's four things, and we'll finish here, that number one, we've got to, by God's grace, overcome entitlement. We've got to overcome entitlement if we're going to come to him. And it's oftentimes that we don't come to God because it's the lower our view of sin, the less valuable and relevant grace becomes. We don't come to him when we know we need to because we don't deal with sin as serious. The longer we walk with him, that's even more of a challenge When you first have your eyes open, it's like you have this sensitivity about you, right? Anybody remember that? It's like, oh my goodness, I said shoot, (laughs) right? (laughs) And then you get all convicted and you're like, oh, forgive me, Lord, right? But then after you go a period of time, then you're like yelling at people, being irritated with people, mouthing off at people, talking about, well, that's just how I am. And all of a sudden you begin to forget the seriousness of sin that put Jesus on the cross in the first place. And grace, grace moves us out of that place of entitlement. We've got to understand it's a throne of grace. We don't get to come near to God because of what we inherently deserve, but by sheer, the sheer abundant gift of what God has given We're extended an invitation rooted in grace, not our performance. An acknowledgement of our failings, not because of our awesomeness. But the only reason we'll embrace that is if we keep a clear picture of what sin is really doing in our lives and what it did to the Son of God. Entitlement needs to be brought down. It's grace because the only reason I'm there is because he paid a price for me. Number two, it gets rid of apathy. It gets rid of apathy. And we need to understand that just because we have free access to God doesn't mean it didn't cost something. Just because we have free access to God doesn't mean it didn't cost something. It's easy to allow what was once exhilarating to become mundane. Isn't that the truth? What was once exhilarating to become a mundane... And this is why God even gives us the example or the parallel to what? Things like marriage. He said your relationship with God is like marriage. And everybody remembers seeing a family member or a friend or maybe you yourself at the altar and how excited they were on that day. Everybody crying. Makeup dripping. You know, I can't believe I look like this. You know. But then a couple of weeks or months later, right, when the rubber meets the road, then it becomes what? Can you please brush your teeth before you greet me in the morning? Right? All of a sudden, but at first it was like, oh, I don't care what it smells like, you go right in. (laughs) Right? And no matter how good God's gracious presence has been in your life, it's easy to take for granted. Because the invitation to approach him is free, it's easy to forget that it wasn't free of cost. It cost Jesus everything as our great high priest in order to extend this lavish invitation to approach him. Remembering the gospel is what helps us to refresh the beauty of grace and ignite our apathy back into passion. But it takes what? Effort on our part again there. Meditating on that reality and meditating on that truth. There's no such thing as a life that doesn't hit apathetic dips. Everybody say amen to that. (laughs) But even our simple disciplines and rhythms of being with Jesus in his word and community can light a fire where apathy might temporarily be. Why do we stress community so much? Because sometimes when I don't have the passion inside of myself, somebody else helps me stoke my flame. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody looking forward to the warmth and getting to barbecue again? Okay, cooking out on the deck. But here's the thing about coal. Not pasture coal, but real coal. Okay? <laughs> well, actually, this applies to coal. This is a perfect analogy. See, this is a God-given analogy. <laughs> If I leave the fellowship of the brethren, though I might have once been hot, all by myself, the fire begins to dwindle. But then Cole comes along and says, how are you, Rollin? I'm like, I'm all right. I say, how are you, Cole? He says, better than I deserve. Talking to me about that grace. Anybody ever heard that before? Better than I deserve. And then the fire gets ignited in me again, right? Because I'm once again ignited by someone else's passion beyond my own. It's the word of God in that community that helps to fight against that apathy. But it's not only the apathy, it's the autonomy. The autonomy. And one of the best ways to avoid obedience is ultimately to um, avoid God's word. In all the talk of amazing grace and mercy to help us in our time of need, it's easy to miss that all-important invitation that's being made. We're invited to approach the throne. That's what he's talking about, the throne. God is inviting us into his presence and under his authority. It's not one or the other, right? If he's inviting you into his presence, it's also under his authority. But that authority is found in his word. And many times we can directly relate our lack of submission to his authority with our relationship with the word. If you don't know it, you're not going to live under it, right? Additionally, if you're not feeding on it, you're not going to have the sensitivity to obey it. And then finally, timidity. If you allow shame to determine how much God desires you in his presence, you'll never approach him consistently, let alone with confidence. The Bible says that we're to approach him with confidence and also consistency, right? He says, seek the Lord always. Seek his face always. But if you don't have an understanding of grace, you'll be riddled with shame. And coming confidently to God's throne would be a non-starter in your life. Shame tells us to hide. Grace ultimately tells us how to be found. Shame tells us to hide. Grace ultimately tells us how to be found. And the good news is that no matter where you have been in here, whether today, yesterday, or weeks and months before, the inviting grace of God brings you back. The inviting grace of God tells you it can be different starting when? Not tomorrow, but today. Today. Why? Because when is he on his throne? It's not tomorrow, it's today. And the throne of grace that he invites you to is available to you through the cross of Jesus Christ today to wash you clean, to cleanse you of guilt, to give you another chance. That's the good news. And so regardless of where you found yourself up to this point, come to the cross today. Find him at his throne today and reorder your life, that as you meet him at the throne of grace, you actually live transformed by that grace. Because the grace is what starts you in relationship with him, but it's also what keeps you. It's what also keeps you for the duration of your days. But it's going to take effort on your part, a reminder of his finished work in your life, and a continual removing of the obstacles that would keep you from him. Let's do that today and then honor him for all he is and all he's done. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.